Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 396. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of FinTech Nexus. Before we get started, I want to talk about our flagship event, FinTech Nexus USA, happening in New York City on May 10th and 11th. The world of finance continues to change at a rapid pace, but we will be separating the wheat from the chaff, covering only the most important topics for you over two action-packed days. More than 10,000 one-on-one meetings will take place, and the biggest names in fintech will be on our keynote stage. You know you need to be there, so go ahead and register at fintechnexus.com and use the discount code PODCAST for 15% off. Today's episode was recorded at the Merge Conference in London on October 17th and 18th. I interviewed Lawrence Wintermeyer. He is the chair of GBBC Digital Finance, also the former chair of Innovate Finance and a founder of that organization. Uh, He is a legend in the fintech space in Europe and around the world these days and writes regularly about digital assets. And in this particular episode, we talk about Paving the Way for Web3 Legitimacy. That is the title of the session. Lawrence gets quite feisty here. He gives really a a call to action for everybody in the Web3 space. It really was a fascinating discussion. Hope you enjoy the show. Please join me in welcoming Lawrence Wintermeyer. Well, you're too, uh, you're too kind. My goodness. How are you, sir? Yeah, good to see you. Good man. to see you as well. All right. So, I, mean, I gave you a little intro there. Why don't you just tell the audience a little bit what you've been up to recently? I'm dizzy from travel and uh, advocacy work in Washington and, and Brussels, but I chair a not for profit members organization that focuses on standards for the crypto and digital assets uh, sector globally. That's where I spend most of my time. I do have a private business, so I'm an asset manager, but you know, for the most part, I spend time in the advocacy space. Right, right. Well, let's, let's get right into it. This is all about paving the way for Web3 legitimacy. And one of the things that you've written about, which I've, I've really appreciated, is the fact that, you know, while people complain about the fact that regulation hasn't really kicked in for this yet, you say, well, a lot of the participants are regulated. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about the, you know, particularly with the decentralized finance. We're not, I mean, it's not really talking about mom and pop investors. It's talking about, you know, institutions, right? Well, I, I think, you know, rather than institutions, it's not retail clients, right. uh, particularly in DeFi. And uh, there, there are a lot of different players in it, but certainly there are a lot of, um, you know, token holders, high net worth people, but there are a lot of asset managers moving into this space. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that, you know, particularly sets the context for the direction of travel for digital assets full stop or gives us a, a bit to think about. But I, I think, you know, if you would allow me, Peter, I think we should put our conversation into, you know, context. You know, sitting here today, I think this is probably... Uh, the most volatile macro situation, you know, or global economy that any of us uh, will face. And uh, there there are a number of reasons for that. You you know, one, we can, you know, talk about global conflict, which I think has a particular impact on uh, government money printing and, and, you know, some of the fundamental issues we're, we're faced with. 
you know, at the same time, we've got all of this volatility. We've got an emergence of, of great innovation, uh, but that is often in highly regulated industries where regulators, frankly, only have very blunt instruments, you know, to be able to support that. And that really topped off with an era where, you know, broadly cybercrime um, and, and the resilience of what, whatever it is we go into Web3, mm -hmm. uh, I think is in question. So, you know, I think as we, you know, go through this uh, chat, we should, you know, try to unpick um, some of those macro trends that we see. Because I think that, um, you know, in the context of this market we're in, it's probably uh, the most difficult market since, you know, I would say possibly having listened to my grandfather talk about the era of 19. 29 to 39 right. for, for all sorts of reasons. And I don't, I don't think people necessarily appreciate it. We get a bit numbed by uh, all of these global events going on. And I think if you're in the digital innovation space, uh, you are at war, full stop. You're at war uh, right now for a number of reasons, not least of which, uh, putting aside the dry powder on the sidelines mm -hmm. in, in the venture of the private equity space, Inflation and the cost of money is likely to kill you. If that doesn't, if you're in the retail space and you're in the Western world, your clients, whoever they are, are likely to have their mortgage rates doubled in the next uh, year or so. You know, if, if you're not in the UK where there's a cap on energy costs, you're likely, you know, going to be unable to afford a, a lot of energy. So some of the things going on in the, you, you know, market right now actually pale in comparison to, you know, regulators, policymakers, and some of the blunt, blunt instruments in place. But I think more importantly, uh, innovators are at war because they're being attacked from all sorts of different sides of the, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the castle right now. So we, we need to pay attention to that. So in DeFi, DeFi for the most part is being attacked right now, but has been by the industry's own accord, predominantly a non-retail Right. vehicle. Right. Right. And so let's talk about that because I, I want to reference the report you guys produced over the summer, which was, was really excellent reading. And in that, you kind of gave the industry a little bit of a, a call to action that, you know, we really need to be managing ourselves. The, De the DeFi space should be um, really focused on self-regulation. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what your thinking was there. Well, well, again, ma mainly in that the evidence from the industry itself is that it's in a non-retail market. Mm -hmm. Most wholesale markets are, are, you know, fairly regulated. So if you accept that, and if you accept, uh, you know, collateralized lending, some of the, the more popular products that are in place, where there's an absence of standard or regulation, you should adopt what we have. So we have standards for KYC AML. We've got wholesale standards for margin lending and, and you know, dealing with margin lending. We have standards for algorithmic finance and particularly HFT and principles out of IOSCO. I mean, the list goes on. And so I think it would be you know, pretty important for most of us in industry, as we've done in, in GDF, to think about demonstrating to policymakers and regulators in highly regulated markets, which most of the markets we are in are highly regulated, mm -hmm. that we can come together and certainly abide by standards. 
I don't think any regulator or anyone in the world believes in self-regulatory models. I mean, I know we do have our SROs around the world, but that is not an ultimate solution. It may very well be a destination on the way to what we would rather see as a co-reg model, right. uh, which we can get into. But, but the important thing, I think, of the report was for the industry to really pay attention and start, start demonstrating that you're adopting standards that pe people in wholesale markets or incumbents do now, while engaging regulators, particularly in innovation. And the importance in this instance of, of DeFi or DAOs is really how we get regulators on-chain, you know, how we get governance nodes up and running and how we get them you know, transparently engaging in blockchain or DeFi ecosystems because they are, to a certain extent, they, they are in the Stone Age and mm. use blunt enforcement tools mainly because they don't really have very many other tools to keep up with this frightening pace of innovation. Right, and that, that's a, a challenge in and of itself, obviously, for them to be keeping up. But maybe you could, let's dig into a little bit, um, you just touched on it, this co-regulatory strategy. What, you, what do you mean there exactly? Like co-regulatory with, obviously you've got regulators that are, that are implementing the rules, but what do you mean exactly by co-regulatory? Well, well in, in its simplest form, industry particularly, and again, but you know, blockchain and the uh, nature of governance, uh, shared governance really offers an opportunity for better partnerships with government and, and private industry. We, you know, we can convene on, on protocols to do that. And I would certainly argue that private industry is better positioned to fund government exploration in this area, particularly in innovation. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're waiting around for governments to fund innovation and digital innovation, you'll be waiting a long time. So the, the idea of a co-reg model is really a safe space for industry and regulators to convene. And, you know, particularly for, for them to at least go through a mutual discovery process of identifying uh, material risks in any digital ecosystem before regulators have to go back to policymakers or do what they need to do to determine whether they move down, uh, you know, a rule-based, a principle-based approach with things. Um, so I think that that collaboration, that upfront collaboration on risk identification is what we've been trying to move towards in GDF with our own reg form for a few years. And again, regulators, I'm a bit empathetic, regulators are very open to this, but typically the, the gap uh, in the digital crypto or digital asset space is at a policy level, and it's been highly politicized you know, for, for a number of years for, for all sorts of reasons for which often the industry doesn't do itself uh, many favors. Um, so if you extend the mutual collaboration and risk identification and move a bit further down the line, COREG, particularly for us in the context of a DeFi model, mm -hmm. would have regulators and reg nodes or reg DAO online as part of consensus mechanisms so that uh, regulators can do what they should be doing in free markets which is sitting back and regulating and, and not trying to design products or put uh, prohibitions in the design process that, that are overcomplicated. And, you know, you can understand to a certain extent why regulators in this era are in a, a space of enforcement, because really they, they don't have very many tools right. and don't have very many opportunities to do things. And 
You know, I think with the exception of the, the sort of great work that Chris Willard and his team did here years ago in launching the regulatory sandbox, most regulators aren't innovators. I mean, they might have an innovation hub, but there isn't anything innovative about it. They've either got a legal mandate or a, a charter that's focused on enforcement. So at, at best, they can do discovery. Right. So how then do you give the regulators the tools? Because you, you're talking about decentralized finance that might not really have a, a geographic location that is in the jurisdiction of the regulator, you know, because it's by its very nature decentralized. How, does, how do you think about that where what entity can be regulated in a decentralized world? Well, you, you raise a really good point. So, you, you know, even in the context of, you, you know, the latest uh, CFTC action against uh, B0X and, you, you know, B2X and uh, Uki uh, Dow, the issue with DeFi for most regulators, uh, as we sit here right now, is that it looks like an unlimited mutual liability structure. Right. And so I don't think that the industry is going to be able to go on much longer without looking at legal wrappers or DAOs. And so whether it's Singapore, Australia, Treasury, uh, mirrorings of Germany, there are always things going on in certain states in the U.S., the states that will be familiar to you. But this is part and part of the parcel of uh, the situation we're in where I think most regulators would say, you know, to the DeFi community, who we've regularly worked with, with regulators, you know, whether or not you look like a common enterprise that's raising capital and how you fund projects, if we put that aside, your governance structure um, certainly looks like it is uh, an unlimited liability network structure, which would require a legal wrapper in most places Mm -hmm. because ultimately... You're putting individuals in this case, as well as the collective mutual, uh, at risk when things go wrong, which is exactly what we saw with, uh, you know, Mango Markets last week. Uh, you know, again, I think this is something for us in the industry to pay attention to because that level of uh, legal wrapper is going to be pretty important, I would say, uh, going forward in the future to operate a, a DeFi structure. And again, uh, you know, I think we're at a point within the, the industry to really pay attention to things and say, well, look, you know, if you want to create great products or whatever Steve Jobs, you know, term, term was, I was called a gobsmacking products, but you know, <laughs> outstanding products, you better get the design features of these. We need to start thinking about the social utility of the design features, right? Because nothing's going to scale outside of a legal structure particularly in highly regulated markets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. And we're, going to have, we're going to be talking about design and, uh, and user experience uh, throughout this event. But I wanted to, to touch on some of the, the gnarly issues here. I mean, what this can mean for users, like pr- protocols, regulators, or what are, the, what are some of the issues that you think are, are top of mind that most need to be addressed? Well, I think we've just spoken about, you know, legal identity and a degree of legal certainty and liability mm-hmm. is hugely important in any market for when things go wrong. And, you know, I'll remind everyone now, we, we've got 
the worst year for U.S. government debt, I think, in history. We've got the worst year in the last hundred years. There have only been five markets where we've had the S&P, you know, bonds uh, both down, and I mean they're both down so significantly. Mm-hmm. It's a huge impact of things. And you know, again, I think you know people in the DeFi community are always saying, Lawrence, why are you talking about this? Well, this is pretty pretty important. I mean, this is our you know macroeconomic circumstances that we're speaking about, which impact a number of things. And you know, particularly they impact not just the capital that's available to you, but the way that priorities and policymakers or regulators are going to look at things. You know, and at the same time, we have a community uh, which I would say has been openly, and our own community has been openly working with regulators on every aspect of, of DeFi, the construction of DeFi, and what it is that we need to do to address the material concerns of policymakers and regulators to make the pool safe for everyone in the future and make it scalable in Web3. And so, you know, at a time where we're sitting here in the UK where the treasurer has just lost his job last week, stability is the key word. And despite the new chancellor's uh, U-turn on, on corporate taxes, there's still around 45 billion of unfunded liabilities. You know, the markets and the free markets are speaking. Right. right. I mean, I think the, uh, the Asian markets were marginally up on the pound, but, you know, it's at about a buck ten. And so... If you look at that instability, uh, particularly from one government, and again, as a community, most of us have been, uh, you know, focused on the FSB, uh, listening to Janet Yellen and, and speaking about financial, you know, stability. The, the UK looks as if it's, you know, almost a failed state in the context of the G7 nation right now and really needs to, you know, fix itself. So I think you need to put those macro trends into the context of where we are with things because... We're only in a, a more volatile space. Right. And, you know, the context of priority, particularly government, you know, government policy and priority as it relates to crypto or digital assets, I think is probably going to move pretty far down the line, right. I, I would say. So I think that's a great opportunity, certainly for, you know, funded projects to come out and start to demonstrate they can behave in a way that is scalable as we start to build the infrastructure in Web3. I would look at that opportunistically. Right, right. There's been a lot of blow-ups in DeFi, and I was reading, there was a thing in Coindesk last week that talked about, it was written on October 13th and was already the worst month in DeFi history for hacks and for things like that. The industry doesn't do itself any favours, obviously, by having all these kind of um, blow-ups. But how are we going to kind of address... Who is responsible? Because that's what the regulators want. They want to say there's fraud, this person is responsible, this entity is responsible, let's go after them. How does that work in a DeFi world? Well, well, this is again why identity, legal certainty, and, and legal wrappers become important. Mm-hmm. And, and so I started coding long before the World Wide Web and the internet even existed. And, and you know, I don't code now. I've you know, the closest I come to it is, um, you know, broadly quant asset management. And other people do that, thankfully. Other people, you know, implement the technical code and the math that uh, I could only dream up. Right. But I think the importance to this question is you need to ask yourself in a common law world or in a civil law world where it is that you would be able to go and offer highly regulated products without some, uh, you know, form of identity provenance and liability. Uh, mainly to protect yourself when things go wrong. 
And I think, you know, in, in a world particularly where, you know, in innovation, we're at war, you know, not with regulators or with policymakers, arguably with the macro economy and the, the amount of capital it'll get to spend, but we're at war through quite often cyber. And, and it isn't hacktivists, it's, you know, syndicated crime who actually move as quickly as innovation theater right. and innovating. And it's state-sponsored crime. And, you know, I think this is important for people to put into context. Bloomberg estimates that, you know, government intervention, or that broadly 26% of GDP by 2050 will be from the free market, uh, inferring that 75% of global GDP will be not from democratically capitalist-oriented countries. And, and so I think people should really bear that in, in mind because it's not just super quants that are in syndicated crime that are, are hacking you. Uh, the focus on state-sponsored hacking and the destruction that it's d trying to do to capitalism makes things like mango markets, if you're a cap markets or an institutional person, look like a bit of a joke. You know, broadly, the, the manipulation of a price oracle, you know, to inflate a collateralized asset position and allow the hacker to take out 100 million, which happened to be the liquidity of the market. I mean, you know, next to the chancellor's unfunded budget, it's a bit of a schoolboy error right. if, if you're a serious technologist and you're trying to develop really, you know, great products and stuff. So I really do think that, you know, again, this is something that the industry needs to pay attention to. And, and to, you know, I'm, a, I'm a pacifist. I, I don't like to sit in front of uh, folks on a Monday morning and talk about being at war, but we need to really reorient ourselves and, and be very aware of the digital and economic world that we're operating in. Right. This isn't just a bit of, let's push a bit of code out and fail fast and, and uh, you know, mess up the economy, you know, particularly where we have um, you know, significant you know, products like wholesale financial right. lending products, etc. Uh, and then you know as well as I do, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what statistics we quote on, on hacking. The U.S. retail statistics that, you know, broadly 60% of people have uh, indicated that they've, you know, they've been victims of some sort of cybercrime, that leads you right back to identity and making sure that we get the providence of an individual identity right in the infrastructure, along with our cyber protections going into Web3. Otherwise, I just don't think any of this stuff is really going to scale. Right. Because uh, if you look at all of the things that, you know, do you think DeFi's had to be, you know, look at the hacks on, you know, Binance recently. I mean, you know, the industry just does not look like a very safe place right. uh, to put your money right now. Right, right. Okay, we've got quite a lot of questions coming in here. Maybe we'll take this one. You mentioned the idea of a reg DAO. How far away are we from effective and appropriate DeFi regulation? I think we're far away from anything that's effective or appropriate because with the exception of Mika in Europe, which is a fairly European and comprehensive top-down regulatory framework that's particularly focused on crypto and the tokens, e-money tokens and stable coins and then asset reference tokens and the spot market, we don't have anything uh, about DeFi. And where we have functional regulatory equivalents right now in the world, I would argue, is in the US and Europe, you know, broadly with stable coins in the crypto spot and cash derivative market. Although the US 
is likely, you know, not going to do anything until we get through the election period. So even the FDIC or where we go with stablecoins in the U.S. is likely not, not going to happen to next year. So where, where does that leave DeFi? I, I would certainly say from my perspective, uh, there's a sovereign race now to get uh, legal DeFi structures identified in order to crowd in DeFi as, you know, I think that's a recognition that it's a very viable tool. We know that uh, most folks in, in, in cap markets like it, but I, I would expect some sort of uh, clarity on DeFi legal structures coming out of jurisdictions, and that, that's probably as far as we'll go. I mean, my, my own view is that DeFi is a composable set of tools that, again, we have standards for in, in many other places as well. So, you know, it depends on how you want to compose DeFi, but... Um, certainly, legal DAO structures, I think, are, are not too far around, right, right. around the corner. So, yeah, another one here that this sort of similar type theme is the solution to move away from open networks to DeFi on closed networks. Well, I, I think, with the exception of the blockchain, which I love, which is a public network, which I think is the most secure and resilient thing in the world uh, until quantum comes. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, it's the bridges, the on-off ramps, right. and the Web two infrastructure that is the weak link in the chain. There, there is a greater focus, certainly, on permissioned or closed networks uh, for DeFi. You know, for a number of reasons, mainly in if, if you don't have the identity or provenance in, in a voting structure, you have no resilience. Well, one, you, you could spend um, you know, you know, a whole session talking about governance uh, and voting structures of DeFi, but you, you need some degree of financial probity. And again, you know, I do say this, I've been regulated in markets trading, um, you know, hedge and other products. You do need people to ultimately take account ability for even algorithms or the trading program that's going on. And, and they do need to know stuff about this. I mean, it's nice to think that, boy, you know, in a bull market, people can trade and, and arbitrage things and make money. You know, over the long term, the maths are against you. So one way or another, uh, you need to have some sort of sense of control, uh, even over algorithms. And so I think in that context, the, the move towards more private or consensus networks where node operators actually do, do take some sort of responsibility for the underlying liability of what's going on is, is certainly what we see you know, emerging in, in, in the institutional space. Right, right. So we're, we're almost out of time and I just want to end with you know, what you kind of wrote about in your paper as well as this, this sort of call to action. We are, we're at a pivotal moment. I know we have a macro environment that's extremely unusual, that's something none of us have, have lived through. We're talking about Web3 legitimacy here. I mean, what's sort of the, the one thing that you'd like to leave the audience with, you know, like given the context of where we are, what's the most kind of practical thing that we can do to create more legitimacy? Private markets have more money than governments, so I'm very focused on, you know, I have no idea what Web3 is, but whatever it is, if it's the next generation of the technologies that we're working with, and, you know, Tim Berners-Lee hates that we've conflated blockchain with Web3, it just annoys him. Uh, And then I have no idea what the metaverse is, and, you, you know, I guess we've I'm not even sure Mark Zuckerberg does, but um, <laughs> you, you know we can wait and see. 
I think from the practical perspective, if you're a builder and you're a digital innovator, it's really boring, but we need to get the infrastructure right. And the infrastructure in this case has to do with identity provenance and cyber resilience. I mean, those are the two things that I think we need to bake into any infrastructure right. in order to be able to build successfully in the future. Again, otherwise, I, I don't think many of these digital things will, will scale to a point of social utility that, that make them uh, good enough that, you know, meet Clay Christensen's disruption innovation theory of, you know, it does a job and it has that social utility. Right. Okay, well, I have to leave it there, Lawrence. Thank you very much for, for coming and joining us today. Appreciate your thoughts. Oh, thank you, Peter. Okay, see you. Okay.